Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at The Block, and I'm very excited to have a look. Vasudev back on the show from Standard Crypto. It feels like feels like we're, we're back, as we were talking before we turn on the mics. You, were, you feel like you're back at the tail end of 2019, but it really hasn't translated into deal flow probably yet. How do you feel about the market right now? Deal flow is a funny thing in bear markets. I think that uh, the velocity is down, as it should be, but I think the quality that you get is so much better. I'm sure you've seen this too with uh, in terms of like what you get pitched on at the block, right? It's You know that people who are here are in it to win it, and, and they're not in it because they heard it was cool or they're hype chasing. Um, and so that, that's been the case. We've been, we've been doing a bunch of deals. Um, we've been, uh, you know, we've been having fun. We've been busy, but it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's almost refreshing because you just have so many less frogs to kiss, so to speak. Yeah. And you're getting, um, second time crypto founders as well, or at least like people have been in the space in a while kind of on their second and in some cases third act, which is interesting to see big time. Um, so, I mean, so many of the best founders and, and, be it blockchains, protocols, companies, um, it's rare that, that their first at-bat in crypto ever is what actually is, is the thing that they do that's the most impressive. Usually, they, they skin their knees on someone else's dime. They've in the, they're in the space for a while. And, uh, and, and then by the time they're ready, um, they've, they've done a good job of just acclimating themselves. Right? You know this better than anyone. I think that crypto is... There's the aspect of crypto where it's a vibe, as much as it is a set of technologies, as much as it, as it is um, kind of financial concepts. And so um, being able to understand the space in this very firsthand intuitive way is really important when it comes to thinking about the right product to build, when it comes to thinking about the right go-to-market plan to employ. So it's the, um, the, the folks that are, that are around for a while. The, that's why there's such an advantage. What do you think, what do you think is, is, behind this shift is it is it something is it just a vibe change is it as simple as the vibe is now different or is there actual technical progress developments that are underpinning this this shift um i think a large component of it is just mr larry fink changing his tune on bitcoin and crypto he's interestingly enough not just a you know, Bitcoin. Um, or, well, he's 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 not the blockchain, not crypto type of person. It seems anymore, but he's also not just like a Bitcoin gold bug type as well. He seems to see value across the space, and I think that that's. I mean, if you just look at any of the charts, right? June fifteenth, the day of that filing, was was massive and sort of maybe finally pushing us a little out of the wake of FTX melting down. Um, and so I think that's the catalyst, but are there other elements at play? I think you're spot on. I think it's a huge deal. Um, I, I, like I think in, in November, December, um, I think the market probably was oversold at that point. Um, and, you know, like 
the not the, the the plot that we can never lose, right, is that this stuff is on the right side of history, and ultimately, um, everything, be it from money that's out of the grip of a sovereign to application platforms that are neutral, um, these are on the right side of history, and so it's just a matter of of people navigating through what they're looking for in order to get excited about it or adopt it, and where they are on that on that kind of crossing the chasm curve. And so uh, oversold in, in December, um, November, December, end of last year. And then part of it was just kind of recovery to where probably a better equilibrium to where the space should be based on the amount of progress that's been made, right? If you just compare the space compared to this time in the previous cycle, um, right, we have progressed leaps and bounds, right? It used to be that that we were kind of really wringing our hands around, is there will these things even scale a little bit? And we're worried about Ethereum having its entire block space strangled by CryptoKitties. And uh, all of it was, do we do we have enough block space? Can we, can we do enough? And then you look at where we are now. We have half a dozen or so roll-ups. We have a bunch of blockchains that have, um, that are exploring totally different design properties. And, uh, and we have an abundance of block space. Right. In fact, now we, we don't have enough good use cases for, for the number, for the amount of block space that we have out there for people to use. And so on a fundamentals basis, we've progressed so materially. Um, and so to some degree, there should be a reflection of that in where the equilibrium prices for these assets sit. And we are below that in kind of the height of the fear of FTX and some of the regulatory news. And then we kind of reach an equilibrium. And, and now that we're at an equilibrium, it's about what are establishing new baselines for, for future equilibriums. And, uh, um, and the ETF stuff has always been like a will they, won't they thing forever, right? And, um, you know, we'll see. We're not, we're not done. There still needs to be a formal approval. But, but I think what you're seeing is certainly a different character of, of types that are in the mix here. And, um, you know, this is institutional adoption has always been this kind of meme, this meta that's there. Um, but this looks like the the start of it of it happening in a way that it hasn't before. And so everyone's eventually going to own Bitcoin. It's just going to, you know, they're just going to need to pick their spots and figure out who they're going to buy it from or how they're going to do it and how they're going to use it. And uh, it'll, it'll just take time and come somewhat unevenly. But, but this has been cool. What do you think the biggest alpha is right now in this market? The biggest alpha? Um, so again, we were talking before the show. Um, I really believe that if you look at every crypto cycle, there is a a brand new advancement of what you can do on a blockchain that really solidifies that bull. And there are some things that, that are like, for example, Bitcoin is there every single time. There are some things that are old, but it's often paired with something that really expands people's minds um, and abilities with blockchains. And so in 2013, um, right, the 2013, that was really a Bitcoin centric bull run. And then in 2017, um, really, it was the first, it, it was a bull run that had tokens and ICOs. And it was the first time that we were actually using a blockchain for crowdfunding. We were actually starting to really think about the application layer. And, um, and then in 2021, we actually had, it was the first application layer uh, led bull, right? Because we had DeFi protocols, we had 
um, NFT kind of DeFi on the front. We had NFTs in the back. And um, also the, the, what, we, what we measured was different, right? DeFi was, um, we were measuring product metrics like TVL and transaction volume. And for NFTs, we were measuring users and, and things like that. Whereas in 17, we, you know, we were just talking about white papers and, and, you know, token tables. That's kind of all we had, or maybe transaction counts if you were looking at blockchains compared to one, one and another. Um, and so I think the alpha to your original question is um, what are going to be that set of advancements in what blockchains are used for that really help define the next cycle in conjunction with Bitcoin and some of the other baseline things that we have occur every time. Um, and my guess and where we've invested behind, so it's more than just an empty guess, is I think it's a really cool time for applications. And I think often that um, we're no longer as infrastructure constrained as I think people want to be, want to f- feel like we are. Um, I feel like there's this kind of perpetual, we are infrastructure constrained mentality within crypto. And I think that, yes, like we need to keep beefing up our infrastructure. We need to keep improving it. No doubt. We need to expand the capabilities of what blockchains can do. But at some point, it looks like a retreat to infrastructure because um, there, there's often like a lack of courage to go and, and call your shot on what are going to be the applications that actually utilize these these blockchains. That's a really interesting point. Um, like it's almost like there could be there's almost room for more consolidation at that infrastructure level. Um, what do you think, what do you think is the largest impediment that has prevented like a Cambrian explosion of sorts on the application layer? What, what's missing, right? Because, you know, we can, we can talk until we're blue in the face about the benefits, but is it, is it maybe, like I'm thinking, we talk with Lens a lot because we've been moving into um, expanding our presence across different social channels for the podcast, but also for the company. Um, and so, you know, for them, it's kind of like how do you how do you tell that story? Is it is it these apps maybe aren't reaching enough consumers um, because they aren't necessarily like honing in on that on that on that story of of the app um or is it something else like what were your thoughts there because it's totally it's totally accurate but yeah as a as a whole um i i don't think so there's like what do we need in order to make this appealing to the masses what do we need in order to make this happen i don't know if those are tech solves necessarily i actually think that we may have enough and it's just a matter of timing and getting the product right. Um, and, and that's not to say that we are, you know, you should be thinking about, right, Threads had, what, like 100 million users in its first, like, 48 hours. I think that scale is, is unattainable for a crypto app. We don't have that many users to even go after. Um, and so we, we have, but we have a scale that's pretty interesting right now. And I think in terms of, like, why hasn't it happened yet? I think, number one, we reached that kind of interesting level of scale not so long ago, right? When I think about what are, what are some of the important attributes that you need in the water for more consumer applications to work, 
you need enough people with wallets, first of all, and and not just like um, right. People have measured crypto wallets over time, but I think prior to basically like a year ago, a year and a half ago, most people's crypto wallets was they would just hold assets in it in in cold storage, or they would do it in long term custody, and a wallet was more like a bank account. But now. Uh, we use, you know, with really, I think, MetaMask browser wallets, like using wallets actively, wallets as daily drivers, where you actually are a DAU of your wallet or a WAU, a weekly active user, a daily active user of your wallet. That's a pretty new switch. Um, and so now there's, you're kind of shifting from the wallet metaphor as a bank account to maybe the wallet metaphor as like a browser, right? Or the wallet metaphor is something that's a part of your active usage of internet products. That's pretty new in terms of having enough people equipped to actually try out these things. And I haven't seen like MetaMask's um, specific numbers lately, but I think we're probably order of like mid to high single digit millions of people right now, right, that have these things. And so that's not like a ton. That's not internet scale, not even close, but that's the scale where you can start to get little network effects to form within new products that need it. Whereas before we had that, you had no chance to tip liquidity on a social network because you just don't have enough users to do that. But now you're kind of at that cusp where you can start to create these consumer networks that actually have like an interesting enough scale to where they still feel obscure as they should be. There are, you know, less than 10 million people probably that are uh, there to use them, but it forms the seed um, and it allows it to basically come into its own in a way that that can then grow and catch on um, once once the value proposition has resonated and the vibe has been figured out um, and and what you want out of that social network has been figured out. So that, that's that's where I think uh, is is pretty interesting um, on social networks specifically. Um, and I can speak more in depth of Farcaster. That's one that we are, um, we're early investors in. And, uh, and, and I personally spend most of my time as a user on, on Farcaster. But I think that's the approach that, that many of the smart social networks, um, Lens included, are taking. It's really around, um, we know we're not going to start with everybody. Let's start with kind of people who we think are the right early adopters. I'd be curious what the, like at least, with our experience on, on lens, we get we get like let's call it double, triple the likes than we would on Twitter. So there's they seem like a more engaged bunch. Um, I wonder if that's the case across. Um, like if you were to like compare the engagement of like Farcaster lens relative to Threads, I wonder if there's more engagement because there's a bit more of a sense of sort of crypto camaraderie or something of that respect versus just you kind of dump something on a hundred million people or how many users does Facebook and Instagram have billion? Um, you know, it's no surprise that you're going to get tens of millions of people on it, but how are they using it? How often are they using it? Et cetera, is really what's important. Well, number one, I think that, Crypto, like for these, for the for for social networks, like for decentralized social networks that are focused on crypto, I think number one, you found that like you've you've kind of you've narrowed the scope of conversation just by definition of who you have in, and so you're just on resonance with a greater percentage of the user base if you're talking about crypto on Barcaster um, than if you're talking about crypto on any general purpose social network. So you get 
you get a benefit just by virtue of of that. Um, but I, I I do think that there's there's an opportunity to really um, it's not just like I, I I think social networks frankly I don't think they win if they continue to placate to kind of the status games of social networks today as we know it. I think the big opportunity is to figure out what are these status games of tomorrow. And maybe that involves NFTs. Maybe that involves actually using um, a bunch of our, our kind of crypto capabilities in conjunction with the network. That to me feels like the, the big, big opportunity to figure out. And what I do know is that every social network that starts, one thing that I kind of deeply held belief of mine is that um, you have to start relatively niche. You have to start in a way where you're not bringing a bunch of celebrities in day one, right? Fundamentally, I think the social networks that work are the ones that mint their own celebrities net new, not the ones that actually bring in a bunch of celebrities and ask them to import their fame and their, their audiences. Because in fact, if they, if you do that too early, um, they actually overwhelm and stamp out what could be a unique character, what could be like unique attributes to the social network. You're going to overwhelm it. You need to home grow it a bit. And that means most of the time starting pretty niche, right? This is like, you know, Facebook starting at Harvard. This is like Twitter starting focused on, um, on, on kind of Silicon Valley um, people pretty early. This is so you kind of like tightening your focus on who your early users are. And it helps if they're actually somewhat relatively obscure. I think young people by definition are relatively obscure. But at the time where Twitter was seeding that network, um, the, the people in tech, it was a relatively obscure ecosystem. It was before it became um, as big as it is right now in terms of the zeitgeist. But I think starting with a bunch of crypto people is actually a pretty cool place to be because um, it kind of fits all that, all that characteristics. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's still pretty niche. Um, but I think that, like I said, I think, I think a lot of people in crypto are on the right side of history in a big way that sets them up to be, um, pretty interesting as, as kind of future famous. Um, and I think that putting a bunch of crypto bells and whistles into the social networks product itself, like NFTs and making it blockchain aware while following, you know, you're measuring how close you are to somebody else on the blockchain and using that to inform parts of the social graph. Um, those things are really interesting, and um, and people uh, no other social network does anything like that yet, um, and so it has the makings of like that's a cool way to express aspects of yourself that are not being expressed in social products that we have today. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, now, now, what's sort of the thinking um, on the, on the gaming side? Yeah, so um, one, well, one of my like. One of our, our beliefs about how do you think about what are interesting places to invest or look at times like these, I think that um, if I generalize across these cycles, I think one really good opportunity is you look back at the prior cycle and you say, what really struck a chord? Like what caught lightning in a bottle, but what maybe didn't stick its landing? as well as it, as it could have. And so um, what do I mean by that? I mean that, for example, in 2018, 19, if you look back and you said, wow, CryptoKitties was a phenomenon. 
And it basically like captured the hearts and minds of anybody that was cursorily aware of what was going on in crypto. Um, and it really, it was the first project that I think that brought NFTs into the limelight in a new way. But I think we also saw that the project itself had flaws that it was tough to ultimately overcome. And so the, the wrong way to learn from that would have been NFTs and bullshit. The right thing to learn from it would have been, oh my gosh, they struck a chord and that was incredible. Um, and the, and the right frame is that something, despite being flawed, was able to achieve what it achieved. And so now we have an opportunity to actually take it to the next level, learn from, learn from the past and do something different. And so I think about gaming, there's so much of a default reaction to look at these pioneers like, um, like Axie Infinity and say, didn't work, like write it off, it's done. Um, but I think the more constructive frame is to say that despite some imperfections, this thing shattered records in the game industry. Um, a game that's a couple years old that's doing billions in revenue is, is, has, was previously like unfathomable in the, in the industry. That was insane. And so, yeah, and, and, but then like it didn't stay there, right? They, they, had a, they had a come down. I think that, you know, they themselves will, will acknowledge that it was, it, it, was a, it was an opening salvo, right? And so now there's the, but, but, but I think that people, if you saw that in your responses, crypto gaming is bullshit because, um, you know, Axie went up and then went down. You're like, no, 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 you've completely, you've missed the point. The point is that it demonstrated this explosive potential. And if you can, can take it to the next level, then by God, like this opportunity is insane. We, we did so many episodes. Um, well, I interviewed a bunch of people about the topic of like in, in game economies and how, you know, how do you deal with like a, a game financial crisis and like what levels, levers do you have in managing through that? Because it's basically what happened with Axion. Um, we, I don't think I ever wrote the piece, but I wanted to do like a big deep dive on it. Um, I think we just had a few conversations, but it's not it's not easy. It's not an it's it's a pretty difficult task. Um to kind of manage that that economy well, especially when you're dealing with like a token, and if I mean that makes it more complicated because you're sort of financializing um, this activity in a way that is unusual or or, or new or novel. Um, and I think some of the lessons that you're talking about will be, you know, um, how do you navigate that when the token is under pressure? From a price perspective, what levers can you pull to keep the game engaging? Um, is is something that like I had a few conversations with people about because I thought it was fairly interesting. Yeah, and, and by the way, I I, I don't necessarily like. Um, I think that we are. I couldn't tell you yet what specific if there's the the crypto game that works. Where is it going to use crypto specifically? how much of its elements are going to look like conventional games, how much of its elements are going to look like on-chain protocols. I, I think that we're still in that phase where like that's yet to be discovered. I think we have like some pretty amazing entrepreneurs. Um, I know that we, we at least work with a number of terrific entrepreneurs that are kind of exploring different approaches here. Um, but um, 
the other thing that was that was cool about Axie that people didn't realize is that it actually put crypto on the map in a more legitimized way for a lot of really amazing game developers themselves. Um, I, I know, for example, we we work with a with a gaming studio named Limit Break, and I can tell you that um, the founder there, Gabe Layden, um, Axie was critical um, as a data point to really make him double click and go deep on the space and try to understand, you know, you see the eye popping numbers. He said, Oh my God, what is going on here? I need to learn. And then um, it was basically the bat signal that got him learning. Um, And then someone like him that has like all the bona fides in the world as a game developer now really thinks about crypto as the next evolution in gaming as a function of of kind of being introduced to the concept via Axie. Yeah. That's, that's, it's, it's, yeah, it's like, it's like a spectacular failure can almost raise a awareness about something. And then at first glance, it's okay, this is not going to work. But when you dig deeper, the, the sort of potential becomes a bit more apparent. Um, how's your, how have your guys' thesis adjusted or changed um, from previous cycles to, to this current one? It hasn't really, but we've. But it's also kind of a cop out because we've never been like that thesis oriented in what we've done. I think we always uh, we have we have kind of beliefs that, that we kind of evolve over time. But I think that we've always fundamentally been like entrepreneur chasers, and so in, in that like I like we're we're in this we're in this game for for the love of entrepreneurship and to support founders that we think are are best of breed and are going to build some of the most impactful and important projects and companies out there. And so I've always, right. Like my, my joke is like, what's the difference between like a hedge fund investor and a VC investor, the hedge fund investor, when they're meeting with an entrepreneur, the hedge fund investor, like, like thinks they're the smartest person in the room. And the VC knows that they're not the smartest person in the room. And the entrepreneur is the smartest person in the room. And so in that, I just, I just try to find people that inspire me and then um, and then hope there's enough alignment with some of the beliefs that I've built up over the years. Um, and then I fall in love, I get seduced and I just work my ass off to help them win. So, you know, people base, obviously important, um, but has scope maybe changed? Uh, you know, are, are you looking at, have you gotten bit by the AI bug? Yeah. Well, number one, I think we probably have a lot of default skepticism at most of like the AI slash crypto stuff that's going on because um, it feels just like obvious hype chasing. Um, I think there actually are like very profound intersections of the two um, down the road. In fact, I think it's kind of inevitable that that AI and crypto intersect in a in a big way. I think you start asking questions around like how are AIs going to control resources and are they going to have bank accounts and how, how do you think about the ownership and governance? Yes. We were talking about this. Yes. Or two days ago with light, Lightspeed came on the show and we were talking about how NPCs in games might actually have, you know, have bank accounts and have some form of wealth in That's these funny. games. And it's such a scary, weird thought to think that, they're going to be NPCs that are richer than me, <laughs> richer than maybe both of us. That's I'm already down bad. I don't need to be. I don't need the robot. That's hilarious. Um, but but yeah, I, I think that um, 
for in terms of the, the the thesis, it's less about like chasing things and that. But I think again, I go back to this like pattern for like, hey, where are we today? And what are these like very predictable occurrences that happen at moments in the cycle like this? And so that that's kind of one heuristic that I gave earlier, which is look for what really struck a chord in a big way that didn't stick its landing. And now think about opportunities to to try it again, but putting the putting the pieces together a little bit differently and learning from the past. Um, another one that's evergreen is where has technology really turned an interesting corner? Um, because I think what bull markets do as well is they basically they financially subsidize the R and D a lot of things that are much more like forward looking from a raw technology standpoint. This is like Bill Janeway is the master of this stuff um, about like how bubbles are productive and actually subsidizing tech R and D. And then um, and and often like um, some of that stuff actually gets advanced, um, pronounced it gets it gets advanced quite a bit compared to where it would have been if it was just allowed to kind of evolve naturally. And so an example is um, we we think that what's a lot of the zk stuff that's happening right now is some of the most interesting. Um, number one, because I think most outside observers or casual observers have not appreciated how important of an inflection there's been in the maturation of the underlying libraries and capabilities and speeds and efficiencies um, for generating CKPs, for utilizing and, and constructing circuits to prove all sorts of things. And so that's been a really big shift. Um, and, and that's become um, kind of uh, a backwards looking theme in, in kind of our investments over the past six, seven months. Um, that's a really important example of just where a raw technology inflection has really taken place. Um, and it did, we did not have these capabilities last cycle. And so now um, that feels like um, a really great element that could add to the tapestry of the next cycle because like literally it's net new. So that's a really big one. Um, that's something we, we, we found. That's an example of kind of a tech-led inflection. Yeah, uh, Vance Spencer Framework pointed out, um, he, had, he had this tweet um, a few days ago before we, we had all the craziness today um, about how the people are still kind of sitting on the sidelines and licking their wounds. Um, but there are these underpinning changes. We've never, this is the best bear market of all time, almost definitionally, right? Because um, every time we every time we go through a every time we go through a bull, we land at a higher low point than we did in the past. And every time we're in a bull, we've really like we, the arc of progress in crypto has moved forward materially, right? In terms of like, yes, you know, crypto does not have like the hype and momentum that it did. But if you want to build something on crypto on a blockchain, if you want to build a protocol, if you want to do something creative with this. Look at look at what you have on the table to play with. You have an order of magnitude more capability than you ever had. And so every time like the arc of progress marches forward, right? We have crypto is 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 so far beyond where it was um, at prior points that felt the same based on the market sentiment um, in terms of its actual fundamentals. Yeah, and there and there's still I mean like the the there's still a lot of value there. Not only again you know to your point the lows are higher um but you have as as vance pointed out there's three DeFi apps tracking 100 million of arr this year um in in a bear like there's still money at play i think tether is an example like you know hit all-time high in its supply during the bear 
Um, so there are there are signs and glimmers of of um, robustness that didn't exist or wouldn't have existed. It reveals how fundamentally powerful a, a decentralized protocol is from a fundamentals basis, right? I think that um, I think it was Ben Graham that talked about when you're when something is 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 down and it should be like much further down, but it actually doesn't go as far down as you think. It reveals like an insane strength fundamentally behind it. Similarly, when things kind of when they resist going up as high as you think they should go up, it, it reveals kind of the opposite. But like again, it's like I think many people lose the plot. I, I I've, I've said a bunch of times that I think, for example, a DeFi protocol, it is the um, it is just on a on a fundamental economic basis. Basically, the it's an economic engine unlike any other that we've produced. If you think about it, um, right? I, I I call DeFi protocols or kind of blockchain protocols the the uh, the platonic ideal of venture capital investment because if you think about what makes for like the best venture investments ever, it's there needs they needs to be like pretty low capital requirements. Right. You need, you know, ideally you want to get somewhere with a couple million bucks. You want a bunch of um, you want strong forms of defensibility and, and protocols have a bunch of network effects within the protocol or even with the protocol being used otherwise. So you get the best form of defensibility that we have in kind of the modern business era with network effects and, and kind of platform effects. Um, that's number two. And then number three, you want a lot of operating leverage on the business. Right. That's in terms of margins. And if you think about like the revenue profile of a DeFi protocol, it is insane compared to anything because of the, you get to run it on a public blockchain. And so you get to basically like amortize your cost of infrastructure. Um, you get to share it with everyone else and your users basically pay transaction fees to operate your infrastructure. So when a DeFi protocol generates revenue, it's not revenue like a software company generating revenue. It's like 99% margin revenue. It's, it's free cash flow that it's generating. And um, th just that as like, if you, if you, that's why I, when people put like some of these DeFi protocols and they stack them up with software companies, um, they have no OPEX, right? You, you ship the protocol once it's there. And then the operating expenditures are borne by the users. And and the blockchain covers you. You don't you don't have to pay your server bills. You don't have to hire. It's just like and so the economic properties of these protocols they're the best businesses that have ever been constructed. And so that's where like it's not surprising to me that the ones that have actually like stuck their landings are just putting up these Herculean numbers, even when everything in the world tells you they should be failing. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. Um, I think like whatever the margin ARR is, it's like. It's fairly, um, you know, maybe 90 some odd percent or something like that. Um, okay, so thinking about the next six months, maybe a year, what are you, what are you excited about? What maybe um, are you thinking will pan out or transpire? So, um, well, basically like, we, we've touched on a lot of these topics, but I'll, I'll recap. I think that um, I think that social networks are at a place where they're they're starting to be really fun, um, and I think that you're getting they're just really they're fun, they're unique. The experiences look and feel different 
than your current social network. So I encourage you to try one if you're inclined and just hang out. Don't expect it to be 100 million users tomorrow, but I think that expect it to feel a little bit different and expect it to feel edgy and and, and expect it to feel like maybe this could be the cusp of, of kind of the next era status game. Um, I think gaming, I think that now is the time where... Um, Right, um, Gabe Layden, the entrepreneur for to earlier. Um, I think his his kind of um, in prior gaming years, I, I think kind of the magic number is something like it's either like somewhere between a thousand and ten thousand games need to launch on a new platform before you actually start to really generate games that work. That's kind of the scale of experimentation that you need in order for viability to be established in an ecosystem. And so we're not there yet, and but I think we will be soon. Um, and so I think that 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 a bunch of games have been are, are being worked on right now and they're set to launch. Um, we've got a couple in the portfolio launching should launch in the second half of this year. So I think we're going to get to the point where there's actually enough games around that some are actually going to be great and some are going to be fun and it's going to catch people by surprise. But, but now like kind of now is the time, right? Um, it couldn't have happened earlier. It's it, so I, I think we're really excited to see how that manifests. Um, that's topic number two. Um, the ZK I alluded to already, right? Which is, I think that this is really a profound, uh, just a, I can't express how profound of an advancement this stuff is. And um, I think that it fits into the mega theme of like, what happens off chain is usually bad, right? All the bad stuff that happens in crypto is, is shit that happens off chain. And, uh, and, and when you're on chain, you're at least like within the warm blanket of trust, and I think that, that ZK basically allows you to do a bunch of things off chain in a way that's much more trustworthy, um, which I think is a really important breakthrough because um, it's going to shore up weaknesses um, that like fraudsters and scammers have been able to exploit in the past. And it, we're going to basically like fortify the boundary and, um, and this stuff is going to play a key role. So very excited about that. And then... Um, and then the last one I'll put is a topic that I've been enamored by, and I realize I'm some degree on a limb with it. Um, and I, I, I love what's happening with Bitcoin ordinals. I think, I think we're at, there's a, a potential Bitcoin renaissance underway. And as an old school Bitcoiner, um, you know, Bitcoin is my first love. I remember when Bitcoin was a really dynamic ecosystem for developers and builders and tech enthusiasts. And it, it, it hasn't been, right? A lot of that energy went elsewhere. But I feel like Bitcoin is recapturing some of that. And a lot of people that are newer to the space are sleeping on the Orange King. They don't realize um, how, how much of a sleeping giant this could potentially be, in my opinion. Well, we shall see. Um, if, if energy, if, 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 if Bitcoin becomes revitalized and has that renaissance. I mean, the price is good. But yeah, there's definitely, yeah, it's not really like, it's like, I don't write about Bitcoin and what's happening around it so much as maybe the philosophy or the promise of it. And that might, that might change with, with, with sort of ordinals and others. It's funny because speaking of which we've had, we had like three Bitcoin shows in a row um, a few weeks ago with all you know, the stuff happening around ordinals. And I mean, that's kind of evidence of, of that, of that shift. Um, but it was funny because we didn't, sometimes we like notice we're booking a lot of shows or people at the same time to talk about similar things. 
And we're like, whoa, wait a second. There's an actual, it's, it's not on purpose. It's like we notice in the process of doing it. It's like, okay, this is becoming like a trend. Um, something's different here. But anyway, we'll leave it there. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Hopefully we'll see you again soon. Amazing. Thanks, Frank.